Love a rugby league same game multi? Then you've got to check out Picklebet same game multi. Watch your odds and payouts skyrocket when you combine your favorite team's markets like head-to-head, first try scorer, and winning margin. Picklebet, the next-gen betting app and official sponsor of the NRL All-Stars podcast. What are you really gambling with? For free and confidential support, call 1-800-858-858 or visit gamblinghelponline.org.au. Hey now, you're an all-star, get your game on, go play. Hey now, you're a rock star, get the show on, get paid. Welcome to another episode of the NRL All-Stars Podcast. This is Barnsley, here for the weekly talk and footy episode. Pretty special one this week because it's the morning after origin. Hangovers for all, New South Wales or Queensland, doesn't matter. You celebrate the win in New South Wales. You celebrate the, the Shield and the series victory in Queensland. All happening today and for this podcast, I'm very happy to have from north of the border, Wilfred Z from the NRL Supercoach Champions podcast on board. Wilfred, welcome back, mate. Been a couple of months, so good to have you. Yeah, cheers for having me on again, Vancy. And uh, yeah, not not so happy times this time around. I think uh, obviously, yeah, congrats to the Blues for uh, avoiding the, the clean sweep. And yeah, I think it's pretty clear they outplayed the Maroons pretty comprehensively last night. Yeah, I think that they did as well. Let's get stuck straight into it. For this podcast, everyone, it's obviously the Talking Footy one, but if you do like your Supercoach, jump on the Tuesday record, which hits on a Wednesday for you to listen to for your Supercoach teams. But we are going to start off with the State of Origin review. Have to do that. We'll have a bit of a Round 19 chat and some other things, along with our regular segments of Listener's Corner, Spray of the Week, and a very different Legend Rewind this week as well. So, Wilfred, I, I agree. Like, I, I thought that New South Wales were pretty clearly the better team across the game. Uh, I was pretty happy as a New South Wales supporter. I thought that, obviously, the attack was there. The attack uh, with Cody Walker there helped immensely. But also, you know, Cody Walker's going to get a lot of credit for that, and I think that he deserves a fair bit. But overall, like, when you go through especially the New South Wales backline, I thought that everybody played very well. Like every single player that you see in that backline played well and played a good part of it. I also thought that uh, Mitchell Moses complimented Cody pretty well too. And the forwards were super aggressive. And we spoke pre-game on the potential difference in those packs with the line speed that New South Wales could have, uh, the agility and different shape that the New South Wales pack has compared to Queensland. And I think that we saw that defensively because they were getting right up into them. But those back rowers that are a little bit more agile and stuff like the Liam Martins and the Colin Matangis are super aggressive as well when they brought that to the table too. So I think the attack's going to get a lot of credit, but I was super pleased with the defensive effort as well from the Blues. And uh, how did you see it as a Queenslander with New South Wales coming at them last night? Yeah, you don't want to be too cliche about this, but it genuinely, genuinely felt like the Blues wanted it more last night. And Fair enough, you know, they had more to play for, right? Because they wanted to avoid the embarrassment of being swept 3-0. Three, three you know, the, the Maroons, I felt as soon as the game started, like I just think I just kind of had the vibe. I'm like, yeah, they're not switched on this game. And I think they say it a lot. Like It, it is hard to be that invested yeah, at the same level. I'm not saying they didn't care, but I think compared to game one and game two, they just their intensity just wasn't, at 100%, you know, it was maybe 97, 
at, at origin level when you've got quality players on both sides. That's all it takes, you know, just a two or three percent off, and yeah, it can make a significant difference. So the Blues came out with far more intent. I thought, you know, there was a bit of a lucky try early on for that Fafita score, but aside from that, like I just didn't think the Maroons were clicking. You could tell they really missed Walsh at the back or even just Ponga. Just like AJ is a good club player, but I just don't think he's, you know, he, he is a step down uh, at, at origin level. So that was a pretty a pretty big hit for them. And I thought Harry Grant had one of his, uh, you know, his poorest games at rep level for for a, yeah, but if, you know, probably in his whole rep career that I've seen. Some bad passes and mistakes from him that you don't see too often. Yeah, definitely. So I think that didn't help as well. I just... The Maroons just felt really wasteful when they had the ball. Like they actually had more ball than the Blues. So I think you speak to their defense and full credit to the Blues for stepping up there. But I also felt like the Maroons helped them a fair bit by, yeah, just not, you know, using the ball effectively or efficiently like they have in the first two games. So, yeah, you know, it's always hard to to read too much into a dead rubber, but you can't fault, obviously, the the effort and, and what obviously the Blues dished up because, yeah, they were pretty comprehensive winners in the end. Yeah, and when you're going through that Queensland side, I did think going into the game, I said two things in the week prior podcast when we were talking about game three. One of them was I think that the Queensland's ability to win the pack battle at least, which will go a long way to winning the game, will be if the power game works for them with the big forwards absolutely steamrolling New South Wales and the Blues not being able to stop that with the pack that they've got and the players that they've got on the bench. That was going to be an issue. That didn't really happen. The aggressiveness and the line speed of the Blues, I thought, really troubled the Maroons. But the second thing was that without Walsh there, like you said, it was really going to fall on the rest of that spine, uh, especially with the experience level of that spine. So, yeah, I think that it was a pretty noticeable difference at times when Ben Hunt came, came in and got injected. Uh, and that probably says to your point about Harry Grant too. But there was a lot of pressure on DCE and Cam Munster to really come through. And I think at times Munster tried, but it just it didn't really seem like there was a lot happening or, or coming off for them. And I don't know how much that was through their performances last night or how much it was affected by the Blues getting up and, and sort of stifling their attack or, or not giving them as many options. Maybe it was a bit of both, but yep. I, I did expect a bit more from those guys. And I did think that the team needed that with Walsh out in particular, like you said. Yeah, I, I definitely agree. And I think the other thing that I felt was really critical for the Blues was starting Cam Murray at lock. I think he was a big part of you guys getting off to a fast, faster start. And, you know, he didn't have a huge first stint, but, I think a lot of the damage was done by then. And I think also the the way the Blues attacked, I think playing off Cam Murray at lock, like this is not a, you know, a Murray versus Yo type thing. Like they are both, you know, elite 13s in the current game. But I just think Murray is a different style. He complimented and, and worked really well with Cody Walker, which no, no surprise there. And obviously, you know, having that, that South connection, uh, with Cookie at nine as well. I just think, you know, it, it looked like the Blues were playing a, a much more more expansive style for starters and, and just with a lot more freedom. And I think, you know, I made the comment, I'm not sure if it was on here, but just the way that the Blues have been playing previously with that Panthers type of style when, you know, you've obviously, when you have a lot of Panthers players in the team, they're just trying to grind and wear down. And it's it's very, you know, it, it can be really 
dominating when they get going, but at origin level, like, cause you know, the whole other team is elite players. It only takes one or two mistakes for, you know, the other team to get on top and capitalize and get some momentum. Whereas at club level, like that Panthers style was so good because it's so, it's just, yeah, really efficient. And it's really hard to break away from a dominating game, gameplay, game style like that. So I, I do feel like it just really, you know, with the team that Freddie picked in the end, it like, it just clicked a lot more. And yeah, I, I think it was, a, it was, you know, you kind of think, was this the last series for the Blues? Because he could have had this team or this style earlier. Uh, you know, he could have made these changes for game two, but obviously he didn't. So, Yeah, I mean, with some of that, I sort of think that it's hard because I've had disagreements on this with Cody Walker, but Cody Walker was injured. I know on like the Friday before that they were going into camp on the Monday. Yep. And, you know, people have said, oh, but he was he was cleared as healthy. He was cleared as likely being able to play the game. But as someone who hasn't played Origin in years, coming in and making a new halves combination in a must-win game, it would be a pretty big call. I think that Fittler would have been criticised either way. Like, he would have been criticised if Cody Walker came in and had limited preparation and only had two days before the match to have some runs with the team. It could have backfired as well. So, you know, I kind of understand why he wasn't there. I do believe that Cody Walker was there game two. I 100% believe that he would have been there had he not gotten that uh, strain. And I think that that probably contributed. Um, the other thing too is that with some of them as well, like uh, Colin Matangi, I've got every belief that Colin Matangi would have been there uh, game one if he wasn't hurt as well. And it's happened with a lot of the Blues where there's been a lot of short-term injuries. Even this last game, we had Payne Haas out and that I thought was really going to be detrimental to us, but in the end, the other forwards kind of stepped up. So a lot of the a lot of the players that I think that we got to were kind of earmarked to be there, but we've had a few things happen. Um, some of the other guys, not so much with the bolters. Uh, and that's what I wanted to talk about as well. You know, there was obviously some big performances. Wilfred, I thought that Best was exceptional. I wouldn't have picked him myself, but I didn't have as much problems with picking him as what other people did purely because there was just no real centers putting their hand up. And we've obviously got the injuries to Latrell and, and Turbo there to, to make it two center positions that were there. And then Campbell Graham as well on top. I, I just didn't really care too much. And people were throwing out your Broncos, Katoni Staggs, which, you know, I had a big whinge about last week because I just don't think Katoni Staggs has really done anything. So oh, I didn't mind the best pick. Uh, I thought that he played exceptional and he was definitely a bolter. His teammate was, Probably less impactful for sure, but Saifidi still did a, a pretty reasonable job off the bench and made a bit of an impact. Uh, Campbell Gillard is another one of those ones where, look, you wouldn't you wouldn't really say he's a bolter, I guess, but um, at the same time, you know, he's come in for one game and people wanted him earlier, but again, he was out for such a long period of time. I think it was eight weeks of football he missed and, and then played in a return game and looked absolutely gassed. Um, so they didn't pick him for that game too. I think that these guys really stood up uh, but then there's another combination of, of guys, right? There's guys that were playing in that New South Wales side who weren't boulders, who weren't new to the team, who were really arguably playing for their jerseys. And th- some of those guys really stood up as well. So I thought Adokar had been really poor uh, for the first two games. And I think that it. I was a critic of how much heat the Blues got by not having him in the team last year because at the end of the day we saw very poor form from him leading into the origin series so 
you know, I, I kind of understood that move um, this time around. It was obviously easy to put him in, and the first two games he just really wasn't very good. This game, he absolutely was a redemption game for the Fox. He played outstanding. He's chip and chase try is going to go down in the annals of rugby league history for origin games. It's going to be on all the promos and everything else. We're going to see that forever. And likewise, Tedesco, I thought was dangerous pretty much the whole game, probably less touches, especially in the first half than what he normally gets. Uh, he did move the ball on quite well a few times, but he poked his nose through a couple of times before he made that line break. And it was a real key one because I thought that that, that try that he set up really broke the Queensland hearts and, and really set up the win for him as well. So, I mean, there's a few redemption stories in there and then also a couple of bolters too, which should give a little bit of hope for New South Wales for, for next series at least. I mean, uh, I, I think with the best pick, though, like, you know, what's the long-term plan there? Because I think it's fair to say if you guys have a fully healthy uh, complement of players available for next season, you, he's not getting the left centre spot, right? So I think, it, you know, it's obviously a great story for, for Bradman to get the shot and obviously stand up and have a great game. But, yeah, I, I, I guess, you know, what's the plan for next year? I can't see him still being there. And, yeah, I, I guess that's the scary part, isn't it, when you've still got Luttrell and, and Turbo on the sidelines to come back in. Well, it sounds like you've got a lot more faith in Luttrell and Turbo's injury history than what I do. At the <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure when we'll see him again. That's fair. That's fair. It's it's obviously yeah, just a bit bit, bit of a sad one there because I think the series would have been really exciting if those two guys were there for the whole of it. Yeah, it would have. And I don't want to be sour grapes, and it's not that at all. Queensland deserved a victory. You know, New South Wales were in position to be better, especially in game one, and win the game, and they didn't. So full credit to Queensland. But it, it there is a little underlying bitterness inside me as a Blues fan. <laughs> That it just seemed like every single Origin game we've been we've been injured um, and had guys out and stuff and it's there's been it's significant like it really is like Turbo and Latrell were match winners uh, and guys like Payne Haas is a huge loss especially with you know we don't have a, a huge amount of quality front rowers like Queensland does and there's other guys as well that people forget about like a Campbell Graham who was arguably the the form centre of the competition. Uh, who also could have come onto the wing at some point as well. Um, obviously, Nathan Cleary is considered by most people as the number one halfback in the competition. There's, yeah, It's quite significant injuries. It wasn't like there was bench players that were getting out. So I agree. I would have liked to have you know, just seen the full squad out at the whole series. But if we did see that, Wilfred, then we wouldn't have been able to see guys like Bradman Best and um, maybe some of these other players as well, which, you know, in this third game, I, I loved watching it. And that's probably the segue too. Just as a quality match, I, I thought it was very entertaining. Obviously, as a Queensland fan, you would have been disappointed. But, you know, the completion rates were around 80% for both. Um, I thought that the, um, the you know, the only two tries for Queensland, but there were six tries in the game, which is good for an origin game. Uh, there was a few missed tackles, but not too many. I, I just thought that the the defence was ferocious. The attack was nice. Both teams had a, had a lot of cracks. I just thought it was a really entertaining game. Obviously, game two was pretty one-sided. Game one, I found maybe even a little bit slow, less aggressive, not as dour as I was expecting. So I was really happy with the actual just quality of game three and the entertainment factor that was there. Yeah, I think that's a fair fair call. Uh, I guess from, again, maybe don't want it to be like a, a sour grapes thing, as you say, but it felt like a dead rubber though. Like it just didn't seem like it had that same kind of 
atmosphere or intensity. Well, on TV anyway, obviously I wasn't there live. But, yeah, like just watching it, um, I think maybe just the idea that, well, the series is over, let's just try and enjoy the game, that kind of carried across in the way it was maybe being played out. So, look, there's obviously a few things, uh, you know, the Queensland probably, it, they just didn't step up enough. And I think because they were off, it meant that the game just wasn't ever going to be as much of an arm wrestle as we've seen in, you know, game threes in the past. So, yeah, and there's obviously a few things in the middle there. Like, obviously, when I was watching, I was like, why is Dave Feeder going off after 20 minutes and then doesn't come on for ages? It turns out, you know, they said there was some, maybe he had he was sick and then they've, they've now come out and said he's been managing a hit pointer injury. So, look, it's funny. Obviously, there was so much hype. Oh, sorry, not hype. So much attention about Nanai's hit pointer injury. Uh, and him being possibly ruled out, et cetera, et cetera. And then here's Fafita actually having one that kept him to only 33 minutes and then I placed full 80. Well, it's a good question. Did it really? Because I mean, Slater's come out post-game now and his, his comments were that He's he... fatigued or something, right? Yeah. Uh, thought that Fafita was fatigued, needed to get him off. And then to paraphrase what Slater said, basically um, mismanaged the, the interchanges. They would have liked him to be out there earlier, but... Uh, they only had the eight interchanges to use, so it was difficult to juggle. That's basically what Slater said post-game. Now, obviously, we all know, that, you know it could be covering for an injury or something, although I would say that, you know, at that point, you know, post-match, most of the time you kind of just get the truth out there and there wasn't any real reason for him to not say that it was because of an injury. So it seemed to be not because of that. There was a couple of controversial things. One of them was that, and by the way, just to throw, throw it out there as a Blues fan, Freddie would already be, you know, fried at the stake at this point, it would just be bones falling off the stake um, by now. This morning, it would just be a bit of smoke coming up from the massive fire that New South Wales fans would have set to burn him for playing David Fafita 33 minutes. But by the by, let's just move along from that. Uh, look, to be fair, I think if this was a decider and Queensland lose the series while Fafita plays 33 minutes, then I think the same thing would have happened to Billy too. It's because obviously he's done the job. He's won the series already. Yeah, but, win, you know, he's getting the pass mark there. Winning's always yeah, going to exactly. Yeah. Um, but th- that was that was pretty controversial. I thought I thought that was um, it was definitely a misstep. You would have had him out there. Now the other couple of controversial little rotations or personnel changes. One of the big ones for New South Wales, which you know, Panthers fans were vocal about, but I was surprised that not more people were. Is you mentioned Cam Murray at thirteen? I, I have I have all these wish lists before a game. It happens before a Roosters game. It happens before a New South Wales game. On my wish list was. Geez, I hope that they just use Yo as like a prop off the bench because I think he's at that point of his career. And to me, and anyone that's listening to the podcast will remember this from a week ago and two weeks ago, three weeks ago. But to me, he's he's just been a little bit slow and not quite the type of player that we need at 13. And I think that his career is starting to turn that way. And I was just so relieved. It was a controversial pick to put him on the bench and to start Murray. But I just think that it's so much better for that team. And I was just so relieved. And I made the comment last night that it can almost reinvent Yo's career to me, because I do think that he's gotten bigger uh, over the last couple of years. I do think he's gotten much slower. And I do think that he looked much more comfortable coming off the bench, just being told to play in the middle. He can have some variance when you need it, but his main job was just, you know, take some good hit ups, make some good meters and, and do your tackles. And I think that he really thrived doing that. And that could really help him because I thought that he was starting to struggle the last 12 months in particular as being that 
ball playing 13 with a bit of speed and agility and certainly someone who can cover the outside backs is way gone a couple of years ago to me. So it's almost a reinvention of his career if we can keep on this with this new prototype um, bench front rower almost that is someone like a yo that is never really thought of as a front rower before, but he can go on and play that role if you need him to. And I thought that he did it. Yeah, it's an interesting point though. I mean, for me, I, I think maybe it's a bit, bit too early to, you know, to, to talk about a decline for Isaiah Yo when yeah, he's still obviously playing at a really high level. But when you're talking between, you know, like a Murray first Yo, they're obviously both in really, really good form and they're both at the peak of the games. And I think like it, it may be, you know, in, in a couple of years' time, it might make more sense, but I just think maybe it's a too, bit, too, bit too early to talk about moving him uh, from the position that he's at at the moment. Although you kind of think, like, what if the Panthers had looked at that and that might have allowed them to keep Hopgood and put, you know, you know, obviously still on the field but in a different role. That would have been quite mm. a, well, obviously sliding doors and all of that. But, yeah, I'm sure the Eels fans don't mind that uh, they've obviously stuck with Isaiah there. In that no, I think role. they're pretty happy about it. I'd say so too. Yeah, look, it's an interesting point. I think sometimes, obviously, when he when he comes off the bench, as as I said, like I do feel with Murray, you know, doing so much damage early on, and and the game was, yeah, the 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 momentum was with the Blues by that point already. Maybe just the role was a lot simpler for him, so it was, yeah, wasn't he didn't have to do too much to basically do his job. Well, he got he got the fifty four minutes, and and Murray got sixty six. So they were both still on the field for significant amounts of time, and a lot of time together on the field as well. Yeah, I think did did Murray go onto the edge a little while while Isaiah was more in the middle? I saw that at one point, but then I wasn't too sure, um, and especially just because there was Jacob Saifidi was the only actual you know front rower on the bench. Oh, yeah, exactly. Kind of, I did kind of assume that Freddie was going for that yo as a prop type of scenario to give them two front rowers really. Um, and when you look at the minutes distribution, it kind of looks that way. Although Murray did maybe spend some time on the edge as well. And I think um, even Keon maybe jumped yeah. in the middle. Yeah. I think that that's, that's what I thought I saw like Murray playing on a wider and then Keon was more in the middle as well. So, I mean, it's probably, you know, not a bad strategy to rotate a little bit, especially when they do have that familiarity and they're used to playing beside each other as well. So yeah, I thought, that was uh, one thing Freddie did well to to juggle that light bench, but yeah, I think you're right. Like, obviously, the Queensland forwards just didn't quite aim up. Uh, you know, not having Fafita out there is probably a a pretty critical one for that for for game three specifically. Obviously, Fafita's in you know absolutely electric form uh, and has been pretty much all seasons. So, uh, yeah, you can't can't understate that that was a significant loss to not have him out there. Yeah, and we'll finish off on Yo and, and talk about some of these Queensland forwards, but I do need to put in a disclaimer just uh, to mention that I'm not saying that, that Yo is declining as a player either as far as you know how good he is, uh, just comparatively when you're looking at origin level and the fact that you, like I don't want to drop an Isaiah Yo just because Cam Murray has to start at 13, so you've got to find a spot for him. And I don't think that he can play on the edge anymore, not at that level anyway when you've got those other edge options, so how do you fit them both in the team? And I think that's a really easy yep. way to do it. And it's also going to provide something off the bench for New South Wales in the future if they continue it that you don't get from a lot of other middle forwards in the competition. Plus, he's got his leadership as well that I think that you want there along with Cam Murray. But there was a couple of Queensland forwards, Wilfred, I was super impressed with. It, it's been a, a massive season from Big Tino. And he just had another blinder, as far as I'm concerned, where he had 17 runs with one offload, 
he's just the impact of his work's been great. He's not missing tackles and making errors as much as he used to either. Um, but I just thought that he was quite good. I've always loved Carrigan the last couple of years, especially the last couple of years. You know, I know that you sort of were a bit down on Carrigan when he a few years ago, but you know, he's changed his game from then and how he's playing doesn't really even come up in the in the stat sheet. Like he had 15 carries, which is great, 31 tackles in 55 minutes. But I just thought him and Tito really stood up for your pack. Um, Collins was obviously good the whole series. Connor was um, good again. It was probably those guys and then, you know, maybe not as much else. And that's probably the difference. You know, did you feel like you had the depth of performance in your forward pack that, that perhaps New South Wales did last night? Yeah, look, I think you nailed it. Honestly, it was Tino, it was Paddy, and then Cotter, obviously. He's he's just so consistent, right? Like, it's the way he plays. Like, it's just, <laughs> it's all out there. So, I think Cotter was obviously doing his his business as well. And, yeah, he, Lindsay has been really, really good. Um, um, I was a little bit iffy when he first came back into the team because, I guess, because he hadn't really played much, you know, regular first grade, even just with injuries and suspensions and, but he just, he's right at home. And I think some of that uh, form is carried back to what he's been doing for, for the Chooks as well. But yeah, look, I think, you know, to, to speak to what you said about me being a bit down on Carrigan in the, past, in the past, like, you're right. Like, what he's doing now is not translating on the stat sheet. And obviously, you know, both of us are, are mad fantasy football, like uh, super coach players. And Carrigan was elite back then. Uh, when he first debuted, when I was off him, because I didn't think he was good for the Broncos. And it's because what he was doing was, you know, filling the stat sheets, but not actually having much impact on the field. Uh, He'd get points for making a tackle, but it wasn't a dominant tackle. You know, it didn't really achieve anything aside from slowly bringing them to the ground. Whereas now he's hitting guys hard. He's making less of those tackles, but they're having much more impact. He's not making, you know, 20, 20 runs or whatever that are barely going nine or 10 meters, which, you know, gets some points for Supercoach. But he's, you know, making less runs, but each one he's got multiple post-contact meters. I think he ran for like just under, uh, in 15 runs, he had 67 post-contact meters last night, which, you know, those runs have much more impact on, on the field, obviously. So like these are things that I'm loving for what he does with the Broncos. Plus he's learned how to pass and play link man a little bit more in the middle as well. So like, it's just really good. Yeah, it's it's weird when you say like an ACL is actually good for a player, but Carrigan must've studied up and, and did lots of, you know, watch lots of tape, uh, did lots of Reese, you know, actual study to improve his game. Cause ever since he came back from that ACL, he's just been a totally different player. And obviously as a Broncos fan, I'm loving it. So yeah. <laughs> yeah, for sure. I, I, I love to have him at the Roosters. And he's still at a perfect age now where he's got a lot of good prime years ahead of him as well. I thought the horse was going to get on the, on the field earlier. Were you a bit surprised that we didn't see him in the first half, particularly that like last 10 minutes of the first half or something like that? Yeah, I just felt like when when the Maroons were a little bit flat, I just thought like Horsburgh is the guy you want to get out there just to get some energy mm. going. So, yeah, no, I, I definitely think... You know, Billy didn't have his best game in terms of managing the interchanges and stuff like that. Obviously, we we don't know if there's other stuff going on, but yeah, there was a few times where I'm like, you know, let's get Corey out there, let's let, let him let him wreak havoc out there. <laughs> but it, oh, I love him so much. I, I love seeing him debut. It was a good news story from last night as well, even in losing so. And it, I, I thought that it's about twenty the twenty minute mark or so. Mm. I thought that your your boys were looking pretty gassed, so I was surprised that there wasn't 
a couple of interchanges because of that as well. Like I, I thought they started to look a bit tired. Yeah, I think the the first interchange being Fafita off maybe really did 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 mess with um, Billy's rotations, but I, I would have thought he'd be able to you know adjust a little bit better than what he did in the end. The, the, there were some boards there that really stood up. Uh, I thought parts of the back line, or I actually thought my, pretty much all the back line uh, was pretty disappointing, aside from the Hammer, who continues yep. to just play better than what anyone thought, and full credit to him. Yep. Um, I was kind of the other controversial thing for some people was that Cotter got the medal for the player of the series, and I, I thought Cotter played well. But, you know, I actually thought that the Hammer was maybe going to get it. Did you think it was controversial that, that Cotter got the medal? Controversial, no. Like, I thought he'd be in the mix. So it wasn't probably a, an issue for me there. But, yeah, like, it, it. when you talk about Hammer playing well, like, he was, you know, definitely one of Queensland's top three, I felt, in pretty much every game. So, yeah, uh, like, controversial is probably not the right word, but I, I definitely could see an argument for Hammer being, being uh, you know, being a bit stiff to miss out on on getting the the medal there, but yeah, you're right. Like the the back line, you know, Munster didn't have a bad game. He just didn't have a good one. Uh, DC probably you know had his quietest game of the series, and aside from the hammer, everyone else is pretty pretty poor. Like you know, Talangi still got through his work. You know, ran for enough meters, but the other three, like Val, had a shocker. Uh, Coates was just found out constantly, and. This is what defensively on Val and, and Coates it was yeah, bad. This is what I was worried about when Coates was selected in game two. Like he's he's just not fixed his defensive issues. Like he had these at the Broncos. I thought Bellamy might be able to work his magic and fix it, but he hasn't. He hasn't been able to. And it's just like it's it's almost comical at times watching him run out there and try to defend. But yeah, and obviously AJ just didn't quite have the impact that you know, Walsh has had so far. So yeah, it, it was definitely not a good Good, uh, good game for the backs on the whole. So to finish up on State of Origin, Wilfred, looking forward, um, New South Wales have got either a lot of answers or a lot more questions. <laughs> There's probably two ways to look at it. Uh, but as a New South Wales fan, uh, I'll tell you how I feel. I feel better than other New South Wales fans. Like very, south of the border, we are out for blood almost all the time for some reason. I'm a little bit negative at times. But when we're winning a series, none of it ever matters. So hopefully we win a series next year. But I feel reasonably positive. Like I like the players that we've got there. I think that we've got a good blueprint for Origin next year. Most of the players are going to be available as far as age and stuff. There'll be some question marks on Cody Walker because he'll be turning 34. So I'm really not sure what we're going to do there. Uh, On the Queensland side of things, it makes me a little bit confident. Um, I hate the fact that you've got so many young forwards because we don't have those front row middle stocks that, that Queensland do. And your forwards, like, I love it. I love Horse. I love Carrigan. I love Cotter. I love Tino. These guys are all just elite. So I'm jealous of that. But then I look at the back line and it does give me a nice warm, fuzzy feeling inside too for the next couple of years because, you know, Munster's still at the peak of his powers, but he is getting older. But, you know, Ben Hunt, and DCE, right? DCE is passing his mid-30s and Hunt's, what, 34 next year? So those guys are really getting on, aren't they? So you're going to need to be looking at that next generation of halves very soon. Um, and obviously we've got Caelan Ponga there that might be able to go into the halves, I guess. But how are you feeling as a Queensland fan going forward with the, the squad and, and going into next year? Yeah, it's kind of interesting, right? Because... 
you look at the the halves and you kind of think, well, next man up's probably Tommy Dearden. Uh, and look, Dearden's playing well, but he's definitely much much more of a five eighth. Like he's not a controlling halfback. And then you kind of think, well, who do we have? Like Sam Walker is the name that usually comes up, but I'm not sure what's going on there. So it's obviously no, we'll, we'll get him right for you, mate. He'll be there. He'll be good. <laughs> sure. Uh, but look, the the fact is, I think his development obviously is not going the way you'd hope. Uh, with obviously just not being able to play footy right now. But, you know, on paper, that that would make sense, getting Sam Walker up and, you know, hopefully preparing him to take over from DC. Maybe, you know, it might still be another two years or something like that. But, yeah, that would be the ideal. But there's obviously a big question mark if he does develop. And, you know, even if he does, like, can he handle Origin? Because it's obviously a whole different beast, right? So we just don't know. It's a big unknown. So. I definitely agree that that's that's the main question mark. But I think we've seen in the past, like if you've got a really good forward pack, it, you know, you can cover some of the, uh, you know, the failings perhaps that the backline can can dish up sometimes. So, mm. you know, the thing that we do have is obviously two really good young fullbacks in, in Ponga and Walsh, and I think that's that's positive. And and you know, one of them will play fullback, and I imagine the other might come into contention as as being on, you know, on the interchange as a, as a 14, as Queensland like to do. The disrespect to the hammer, I would say three good young fullbacks. Oh, well, I, 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 I consider him as a, as a, it locked into the center. He's right? a Latrell Mitchell now. Yeah. yeah, that's right. He's, he's obviously a really good fullback, but at, at rep level, he's always going to play, you know, barring injury to the others, but he'll be, he'll, yeah, he's yeah. made that center spot his own. Like, I mean, he's already playing center for the Dolphins too now, right? <laughs> <laughs> oh, I, I can't believe they did that. But you know, it's it, it's funny. You've got the the reverse strengths and areas of concern that New South Wales have in the pack. Like you've got all the great front rowers and even like middle middle forward stocks very strong in general. Yeah. Um, but your back rowers are very thin, uh, and that's sort of like our front rowers. Like we've obviously got an elite one in Payne Haas, for example. You got an elite back rowers like David Fafita is amazing. Yeah. I, I think he's the best forward in the game at the moment. And super damaging. And, you know, Nene is someone who's coming through and, and could be one of those next stars. He certainly played well enough. Yep. Um, but behind that, like you get a David Fafita or a Nene injury or Nene drops off and David Fafita's hurt. And there's some, some edge back row stocks that are pretty thin then for Queensland, I think. Um, whereas New South Wales got the opposite problem right itself. Front rowers are a problem because, you know, Campbell Gillard's getting older and we need Payne Haas there. And if he's not, and we're relying on old Gerbo to get the job done and stuff. So it's an interesting contrast with both the sides because I think there's a lot of completely different things going on with both of them moving forward. So it's Origin always creates these great, you know, dynasties, don't they, Wilfred, and great storylines. And it's um it's almost like a soap opera. And it's almost sad that it ends, but, you know, my heart probably can't take a game four, so I'm <laughs> glad as well. Yeah, look, I think we all love the drama of Origin and you know, when we get into it and, and enjoy it, by itself, but I think you know the the kind of unspoken part, or maybe not so unspoken because it's obviously talked about a lot. But the impact on club footy is obviously quite significant, and uh, I think that's obviously you know felt in these buy buy rounds where you know half the comps on the on the buy, and you know we've got all the Origin players out, and yeah, maybe that's a, a good opportunity to move to discuss round nineteen. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Uh, before we do, I need to mention the great sponsor of the All Stars podcast in Picklebet. Picklebet are a fantastic partner of the All-Stars podcast that have come on this season. Picklebet.com, you can go on and check them out. They're a great bookmaker for sports, but they've also got great 
esports that they're famous for actually and their racing is fantastic too but their same game multis that they've started to launch the last couple of months have been goals they've got some great stuff on there we've always got an era all-stars multi of the week that we do uh looking for a bit of value but also low enough legs where we can actually get it to happen last week it actually came home so that was nice uh we we anchored it with the bulldogs at i think that was like two dollars 78 value that they opened up with uh, just with the Raiders needing to beat the, the Dragons and then also the Sharks go 13 plus. And that was close to $5, I think, for the odds. So that was a good one. Uh, this one, we're going for a couple of wingers to score some tries and some favourites. Sounds easy, but you're going to get pretty good odds on it at almost $4.30. The Newcastle Knights, Parramatta Eels and the Penrith Panthers to win. And then we want two of the wingers to score. Big Greg Marzu and Mike Acevo, who's on a bit of a try scoring drought and Marju hasn't been scoring as many as what he normally does either so at almost $4.30 I really like that one you can find that one on specials uh you can find it if you go to the first game that kicks off being the Knights go to outrights under that game and you'll see the NRL All-Stars uh multi-special of the week and it will be this one and you can get onto it but you have to do it for that first game because the Knights play first up so get into there love that one but certainly have a look at everything else on there when you do create an account with them Make sure you, where it says affiliate code when you're signing up that you put in all stars, all one word, and hit apply. That'll apply that all stars code for you for referrals, and that will make sure that they know you're one of our listeners, so they've got to take really good care of you. But picklebet.com, get on them today. Go and check them out. Also, I think, is this a bet that you really want to place? For free and confidential support, you can call 1-800-858-858 or visit gamblinghelponline.org.au. Uh, and there's only five games in round 19, so just a, a few key points. Uh, the Sharks were the first game, 36 to 12 over the Tigers. You really can't. You really watch these sort of games, and you just you think the Tigers need some credit for last round because they tried pretty hard for their fans. I thought, and it was all it was all for nothing because they got flogged anyway. You know, it's just it's one of those things where I just you look at that side against the Sharks, and I was thinking that the Sharks should have been in another gear as well. Um, and then, obviously, the second half, the, the Sharks just ran away, completely ran away with it and just did it easily, 36-12. to 12. It's still another 24-point loss to, to the Tigers, and they just didn't look in the hunt at all that second half. So good good news is that the first half, they were competitive, but I just can't see them bouncing back. And, you know, I think that Cronulla, if they were playing better, could have easily put 50 on them again. So, I mean, you know, the Sharks... They're warming into it, whether they can beat those top eight teams or not, I don't know. But, you know, the Tigers, you know, you don't want to drone on about it every week, but I just can't see it getting much better aside from probably a better effort level for still a big loss. Yeah, it's a weird one, isn't it? Because I think for a lot of this year, they've, they've, yeah, they've lost, but they've been competitive. You can see the efforts there and they put up a fight. There's only been, you know, up until the last couple of rounds, there's only been really one big game which was I think the Broncos blew them out early in round five. But aside from that, there weren't really any floggings. In fact, they handed out one to the, to the Cowboys right in round 12. And then since then, it's kind of just been a downhill slide. And I, I was wondering, like, is this because Coruscant got hurt? And sure, I imagine that's or part of it. Or is it the it. Luke Brooks effect? <laughs> yeah, maybe that too. Well, that's the thing. Like Brooks, Brooks was actually in good form leading up to it. So... Yeah, I mean, maybe it's a combination of both, losing both in quick succession at a time when they really started to build. And, yeah, uh, you know, I think that's the hope, maybe, once they get those two guys 
back on the field, there might be some bit more bit more competitiveness to come the back end of this year. Obviously, there will be no Brooks next year, and that'll be a whole new world for the Tigers. Uh, unfamiliar territory for them, but yeah, I think Coruscant's loss can't be understated. He's obviously, you know, one of the best players in the NRL in this position, and easily one of the best players for that team. So, I th- and, and you know, he's going to come with a lot of leadership and direction with given the role he plays too. So, I definitely think that's going to be part of it. I wonder if, you know, say Appy played this game, like I don't think those Sharks would have been able to run away with it in the end, even while they were playing that poorly. So, it, it yeah, it, it's always tough when you lose one of your best players. I think that the Brooks, like I'm, I'm half joking but half serious about Brooks as well because everyone likes to rag on Brooks and stuff and want him out of the Tigers side. But you got him out and now because you do have him out, your spine with Appy out as well is Simkin at nine, Wakem at seven. Will Smith at six and Jareen Buller, who has a lot of talent, but he's still very young at one. That spine is going to get pounded for the rest of the year. I, I do not see them being able to compete. Um, and that's some worrying signs. The Sharkies had Nico Hines throw up three tries. He's for fun. I thought he could have done a lot more. And really, you know, all the guys that you thought would fire, you know, they continued pretty good form for them. So I think the Sharks are on the way up. But uh, look, the next game, the Dragons and the, the Raiders, uh, important win for the Raiders, but you know probably the highlight for this one for me was between the 56 and the 63rd minute. Like you're talking about some fans in the doldrums not looking at the top eight, wanting something to to cheer for. The Dragons gave their fans something to cheer for at Win Stadium. The 56 and 63rd minute over that period, they had three tries, and they got right back into a game that they looked like they were going to get smacked in again. It was a fantastic effort. Michaeli Ravalawa was outstanding. Zach Lomax had a throwback game to when we thought that he was actually going to be good and maybe a representative player. Um, so there might be a little bit left in the tank in the Dragons. They, they did show some nice fight there at the end against the Raiders, and I thought it was pretty pleasing. But also, Wilford, you don't see in rugby league too much that three tries are scored in that period of time, especially in the modern game. Yeah, and look, you got to give credit, obviously, to Ravalawa and Lomax playing well, but I kind of think, well... Was it also the fact that uh, you know Jared Croker shouldn't really be playing first grade at this stage of his career? <laughs> look, he he suddenly did his best to make them look good. But uh, what I, um, what I found interesting, obviously, was when Turner went down and then you know Lomax got to play for some fullback. That was, mm. you know, we remember he came into first grade, you know, as a center, but he also was playing fullback too, and we didn't really get to see much of it because I guess you know they. I mean, multiple coaches never really persisted with him there. And I kind of think, well, if your season's gone, like, do you just have a crack? Let him go. Let him, you know, let him try fullback for for the rest of a year and see if there's something there. Because obviously Lomax, they've got him around for a while. Like, they're paying him decent coin. I don't know. It just seems like it might have been worth giving it. It might be worth giving it a shot because, yeah, there were some good touches for sure. Yeah, it might be worth seeing. I, I just uh, I heard Shane Flanagan talking about this as well, and I just I'm not sure I can get around him being able to do it, especially at this later stage of his NRL career with the mistakes that he's got in him and the lack of ball playing that I think that he has. It's I, I wouldn't mind having a look at it. If yeah, I mean he's only 23, 24 still, right? So he's got time if he wants to commit to it. And it's not like an unfamiliar position to him, but yeah, I get I get what you mean when he's got he certainly. He doesn't mind an error, and that's obviously uh, dangerous when you, you touch the ball a lot more playing fullback. It's also dangerous defensively too at fullback. But um, the, the other thing too is that 
it's hard because like you, you, you want to bring up Sloan, but then you're like, oh, but he can be so bad sometimes. But like at the same time, the first four weeks of the season, I thought that he actually improved immensely. And you, he has shown so many flashes of brilliance. And you just have to think that he, he's got a calf injury until round 21. People got carried away with this game that he's been dropped. He, he's got a calf complaint. He's going to be back next week. But you have to think that if he gets dropped again for the, the better part of half a season or something, then he's going to want out again, you know? So it's a tough juggle for the Dragons. It's a tough roster as well. Uh, I have to highlight one thing from the Raiders before we move on to the next one. Tomoko was absolutely outstanding. And we talk about these sort of games. I don't want to put it up there with like the Talakai game versus Manly that ended Morgan Harper's career momentarily, but it was it was up there with um, some of the best individual centre performances that we've seen. They just smashed the right-hand side the whole time with ball and Tomoko just kept going through, um, had three line breaks, 16 runs, way more work than he normally does, but two tries as well, nine tackle breaks. He was just untouchable and he had the perfect game. Like he was just, he was such a good center to watch and you can say it was against the Dragons, but you know, he's only a young fella too. So it's not like he's an out and out star tearing him up. I thought that was really good to see. I enjoyed watching him. Yeah, no, I think it was a, it's a really good shot there. So Warriors 46 to 10 over the Eels. Can I just say that I was someone who thought that the Eels might have been able to um, stay competitive with the side that they had. Hopefully with Sean Johnson out because I bet on the on the Eels a bit of a start. And yeah, Sean Johnson played. The Eels just got absolutely demolished 46 to 10. So that was the sort of scoreline that um, the Warriors should have been getting if they are serious contenders of this competition. And I think that the week before, a little bit gloss came off their premiership hopes because it's a sort of, they should have had an emphatic win against South and instead it was the other way around. And this week, I think a few people were a bit more cautious, whereas that they absolutely threw up the sort of win that they should have 46 to 10 over the Eels. I don't think the Eels should take too much out of it. They obviously are going to be a, a much worse side without Gutho and Moses in particular, as well as other guys like RCG that were out. But for the Warriors, there's a lot to take out of it because that was away from New Zealand and a huge win. And you can say that the Eels had outs, but, you know, it's going to be confidence building for them, I think. So well done to the Warriors and all the big guns that were firing there, like SJ, but also those back three, I thought were outstanding as well. Yeah, and look, not to toot my own horn, but you remember last time I was on, I, I touted the Warriors as a dark horse for top four, <laughs> and you laughed. Yeah, but you've been you've been touting the Warriors for about eighteen years, though. So I mean, people need to remember this. <laughs> hey, hey, hey! I've I've always been a fan, but like, I was never really like you know they're genuine going to be you know in the mix. But honestly, like they're they're not far off the top four. You know, they've got ten wins, and there's only three clubs ahead of them uh, that that have more than ten wins. So. Obviously, it's hard with the Sharks and the Storm, and I expect those two to probably be there ahead of the Warriors. But, look, they're in the mix, and they're, they're playing good footy. And, obviously, as long as SJ and also Egan, I think Egan staying healthy is going to be pretty critical for them too. He's, I think he's been a little bit going under the radar because SJ's, you know, obviously getting all the mm-hmm. highlights. But I think he's been pretty critical to the Warriors playing well this year. Well, Mitch Barnett was outstanding on the weekend too as one of their new signings. He, he's been out for a while, and up and down with his neck injury and, and he was outstanding on the weekend playing on that edge he's, and he's now moved back to prop and that's a lot of versatility that I think they need as well. Uh, the next game, the Bulldogs beat South 36-32. We tipped this one on the podcast. It was part of our winning multi on picklebet.com. Three-teamer, Bulldogs opened at $2.78. 
big win for the dogs. Um, people can talk about South missing a lot of players, but geez, South put in a, a pretty monumental effort to win. Guys like Hawkins and, and Munro played really well when they don't have very much experience whatsoever. But Blake Tuff, he he was outstanding for South Sydney. I was really impressed with how well he played, particularly when I thought two years ago he wasn't a first grader. Look, I, I thought he was great for the Bunnies. Um, obviously, for the Bulldogs, uh, Matt Burton was was very good, um, had the sort of game that you expected him to have as a bounce back. But I tell you what, the, the signing of the Titans halfback, Toby Sexton, he has he's made a very big imprint and difference on that Bulldog side straight away. Yeah, I think it's really good to see. Like we've, you know, I've been a fan of Sexton for a while and I just thought he'd never really gotten a decent shot at the Titans and he's definitely been too good to play reserve grade. So I've been, you know, it, it was always a matter of time until someone came along and snapped him up. And I think it's a great move from the Bulldogs, obviously, with uh, the struggles they've had in their halves, especially at the halfback position. So it just, it's not so much him, it's just what he can do at a decent level and allows Matty Burton to to be a lot more free in what he wants to play. And obviously I think we've identified he's much more of an eyes up footy type player. And yeah, he was great in this game. It was great to watch. Do you think we'll get a lot of headlines or fan comments on um, the dog scapegoating Flanagan with that signing? Or you, you reckon maybe we won't? Yeah. I don't think that we will. Probably not. Like I feel like the the headlines have already kind of come and gone for Flanagan, right? He's already copped so much flack. And oh, I was pulling your leg there as a Roosters fan. Only the Roosters cop that flack back. <laughs> I know the dogs aren't going to, but they did the same thing. But it doesn't make any difference. Well, look to to, to be fair, like I think Flanagan, I, I think he's certainly you know he's just a a victim of the hype that he got. I think coming through juniors, unfortunately, just never really able to translate to, to you know consistent first grade footy. And, you know, that's obviously not helped him at all. So yeah, he's been in, in some pretty tough spots as a result. Well, multiple multiple coaches have had a look at him and all decided to pass after giving him opportunity. And they're entitled to do that if he's, you know, not not a first grader. And I, I don't think that he's going to be a first grade halfback in a competitive team. And it's not, and that's not personal against Flanagan. Like there's, there's plenty of guys that just aren't quite there. There's plenty yeah. of guys that make great careers being second graders. There's nothing wrong with that. And if he goes over to England, he'll be a great starting half. You know, he's got plenty of career ahead of him. It's fine. Yeah, man is still coming up. <laughs> <laughs> well, look, Dolphins 23, beating the Gold Coast Titans 21, went to Golden Point. Uh, pretty exciting game in the end. We had Jermaine Osako slotting a field goal in the 75th minute. He thought that was it. Tanner Boyd in the 78th minute, tied it all up. And then Jermaine Osako with a penalty goal. Was it a bit anticlimactic? I have to jump on the bandwagon of applauding the referee, you know, but you do want to see this more, but just, just the referee's outstanding for calling that because they were 100% offside. You get the shits when it happens and it doesn't get called for any penalties at all in golden point. Like you can take someone's teeth out and it's not going to be called a penalty if it's within shooting range for a penalty goal. But that was a simple offside penalty, game over. That's how it should be. The ref did it perfectly. We bash the ref sometimes because, you know, sometimes they deserve it a little bit, but... They deserve some positive stuff, and that was a positive call, one that should have been made and 100% support, and the Dolphins deserve the win. Big one for the Finns. Wilfred, we do need to move along. Another good news story. Sort of. Josh Reynolds retires. Now, normally that's sort of a, you know, a sad story because someone's retiring and stuff. But I've got to say, watching that press conference of Josh Reynolds, you know, gave me goosebumps, got a bit emotional. He was emotional. 
he was crying. He said the club means more to him than the game at all. Um, it was pretty, um, I guess, a, 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 quite a Josh Reynolds way to retire. You know, it gave a, um, a spot that they needed to open up for Toby Sexton to come in. Uh, and it was a fairy tale finish for him just because he got to play with the dogs again. And he's got his last game this weekend uh, for at Belmore Sports Ground. So hopefully everyone gets up there for the New South Wales Cup game. I think that everyone will. I think it'll be just pretty much a sellout. Everyone's standing on shoulders. But just as a, I have to say, like that, that to me, I think reminds everyone what's important in the game. You know, we've got CBA wars and different things and um, you know, people upset about the judiciary or wanting to hang Brad Fittler for the origin loss and different things and all this negativity in the game. But you come back and you watch that press conference and that reminds you about ro- what rugby league is. It's just about the love of the game, loving your teammates and loving your club. And he was so emotional about it because he loves it all so much. And I just thought it was just such a great thing to see. Yeah, look, really well said there. I don't think I can really add much more to it, but I think you know, what you highlighted with him, you know, one of his last acts or arguably his last, you know, meaningful act for the Bulldogs is actually giving up his spot in the top 30 to allow the Bulldogs to, you know, have a shot at playing some more good footy this year with Toby Sexton there. I, I think that in itself speaks volumes to, you know, Reynolds as a, not just a player and a teammate, but also to him as a, you know, as a person, uh, I think to have the humility to be able to do that is it's, it's massive. So yeah, look, I think, you know, love him or hate him. Like on the field where you can comment about what he did uh, in terms of, you know, he's got the reputation of a grub because that's his nickname. But, you know, I think you'll never find a, a teammate of his who would speak negatively about having him as a teammate. So I think that, that, that carries through very clearly from anyone who's played football with him. And yeah, when you love your club this much to do what he's done. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well done to him for sure. Yep. Great career, Josh Reynolds. It's a fantastic career, retiring at 31 and also has done pretty much everything in rugby league. And the last thing that we'll finish on too is that I'm glad that we're able to see guys that are still like that, that still love the game of football so much, that still are playing the game to play the game. And that's what he did this year because he didn't get paid very much. And we've got to be really careful, Wilfred, because in Australia, we're pretty lucky, but you see sports around the world, certainly the NBA that I follow, and there's so many players in the NBA that are just playing for a paycheck now. You know, they're not playing because they love basketball. Some of them don't even like it. <laughs> you know, like Ben Simmons is an Aussie that everyone would be well aware of. I don't even think that he likes playing basketball. He just likes getting paid. And you just, you really want to make sure that you don't let a game that you love, like rugby league for us, go down that path. Because once you do, it's very hard to come back from it. You need these guys like Josh Reynolds and you need the young guys to understand and remember what they're playing for. And that's a great reminder. Just watch that interview over and over again, if anyone's ever in doubt. Listener's Corner. This week, it's a really easy one. Who's going to make the grand final this year? We don't have too long left. We're on the home stretch now. What's it looking like, Wilfred, for you? Yeah, it's interesting because a couple of weeks ago, I thought the Rabbitohs were going to be there. But ever since I I suggested they might be in the grand final, they've just fallen off a cliff. Uh, I mean, part of that's the rep period as well and injuries. But yeah, look, I think it's hard to... It's hard to put the Panthers out of it, right? They're just such a well-oiled machine. And, you know, we had concerns about Coruscant not being there and losing Billy Kikau. And, you know, there was some teething problems early on, but it looks like they're well and truly papered over that now. And, yeah, it's hard to not see them there. Uh, look, the other team, 
I, I'm honestly, it's it's really hard to tell who might be the other team here because I don't think any other team in the NRL has been able to consistently put together good form to you know to get through that final series. Like there's been lots of teams that have had hot you know two, three, four game patches, and yeah, I mean, I'll throw it back to you. Like, do you do you have a suggestion? Uh, I, I still believe in South. I think that I agree with your Penrith call and South is going to be the other team for me. I think it's Penrith versus South grand final. I think that Latrell coming out next week will be huge. They'll get another shot in the arm with that. And I just think that one of the things with Penrith, like I'll say Penrith will be there, but I don't think Penrith are as strong as what they've been pretty much ever since they've been in this dynasty period. Like I think they're, they're, yeah. they're the weakest they've ever been. But both of these teams, I think, are going to benefit from the fact that it's such an open competition, like we said. So the fact that no one's – you can look at it two ways. You can say, look, no one's really standing up to take it. Um, but you can also say, well, maybe it is that, you know, 10 teams are standing up to take it. and It's just never been this competitive before. And we've just seen this even playing field play out. Um, it could be a bit of both. But oh, I think South and Penrith, if I was going to say a dark horse, I could see a Parramatta Eels going on a run to get there as well. The only thing I'll throw out there, and it's because the Storm have been playing poorly, yet they're sitting fourth on the ladder. And they haven't had their first choice fullback all season. They may not, but I kind of think if they can overcome this period and build some momentum, you'd never ride off the storm, you know, being a, being a genuine threat at the end of this season because they've just been there and done that. So but I think, yeah, on, on paper, Panthers, Rabbitohs could definitely be be the uh, grand final again, throw it back to a couple of years ago, but you kind of think like, can the Panthers get up for a third grand final in a row and actually win again? It, it's going to be such a monumental task for them to be able to do that, especially as you say, they are definitely weaker, even though they're obviously still really, really bloody good. So, yeah, it might be. I don't, I don't think that I don't think they'll win it. I think that South will beat them. I think that they'll they'll lose. Maybe I'm putting too much on the Troy Mitchell there. I don't know. <laughs> Possibly, like he's got he's got to come back fit. That's that's important and. I think, you know, they, they do need someone like a Jai Arrow back as well because mm. I know Arrow's not been fantastic, but he's really solid for them and he does add a fair bit to that pack. So as long as he's healthy, along with obviously, you know, Trell, Cook, Murray, I, I definitely think the Rabbitohs can be a, a, a real threat there. And, yeah, I think if they're all full strength, I would actually yeah, go with the Rabbitohs to win. Yeah, same. Hurts me as a Roosters fan, but, you know, everyone gets their day. Uh, I, I won't ride off the storm. Like, it wouldn't surprise me if the storm go through. I just haven't liked what I've seen from yeah. them, even in their wins and stuff. I just don't like it. And there was all this talk about Munster having a career year, and I haven't seen it. And there's all this talk about the storm being able to make everyone into a better player, and I haven't really seen that at all in their backs, especially. Um, and I just don't think that they've... I just don't think they've got the performances there. And I think that especially, I already thought that, but what South Sydney did to them a couple of weeks ago just reaffirmed that, that the Storm were really up for that game. They really wanted it. And for 20 minutes, they were the better side. And then South just smacked them. And it was just done too easily. My spray of the week, before we get to a legend rewind, sort of about the CBA, but not quite, because we went through that last week and I was pretty annoyed about it. But <laughs> certainly the slangy match of the CBA is back on, which is not good for anyone. Made the comment last week that it was great that there must have been some sort of truce for the season launch of the NRL onwards because we haven't had to hear any side bicker about the CBA. And now the RLPA's social media has gone into overdrive. It's just all over the place. And the NRL as well, answering and firing back. And it's not good for anyone. It's just terrible. But 
one of the casualties of this is the women's game, the NRLW. And I'm just absolutely appalled at how badly this is playing out for them. The women's CBA is linked to the men's. A lot of people probably don't know this, but the season launch was set for next week, and at the moment it's set to be cancelled. And it is a season launch that's going to be cancelled because largely we put this media ban down on players because the RLPA thought that that's the action that needed to be taken or the players thought that's the action that needed to be taken. And lo and behold, that's going to affect the NRLW. Now, Wilfred, I'm going to tell you why I'm so angry about this and then you can be the level head that you are and try and talk me off the cliff. But I tell you what, the women's game agreed to terms on their CBA. Okay, that's really important for people to know. They've already agreed to it. And it's a milestone CBA that I'm proud of as a rugby league fan that wants to support women in sport. I've got two young daughters. I want them to have avenues to go in sport. And this is something that's really good. The The salary cap tripled. They've got extended leave in there. They've got an extra seven-week preparation pre-season. There's so many different things that are growing in this. You can now sign Millie Ball for five years like my Roosters did instead of just one year. It's great for women. They've signed off on it. The players have signed off on their deal but they can't ratify it and have it go through because it's all part of the same CBA agreement. That is terrible. But what I think is worse is that they're being sucked into the action that the men's game is having to take. And I have to like throw it at, at Clint Newton, but the whole RLPA, but also all the players as well. Like how you can drag the NRLW into this to the point that they're not even going to have a season launch. They have had no publicity all year for different reasons. The CBA wasn't agreed on earlier in the year, so there was different things that were missed in being able to promote the game. This is a launch that is going to have not six teams, but 10 for the first time ever. We have four new teams in a 10-team competition, the longest, biggest women's competition that we've ever had in rugby league, and we're not going to have a season launch for it. And it is a game still in its infancy where it cannot support itself financially and desperately, desperately needs support and fans and marketing and coverage to get people on board a great product. And we think that this is a good idea. It, it just, I, I feel bad for the women's game, but it makes me angry, Wilfred, because I just think it is action that just didn't need to be taken. Surely if they thought they needed to take action, they could have just said, we're going to do it with the men's comp, but the women have agreed anyway. So maybe, you know, if you don't want to say it that way, Wilfred, you just go, look, the women can go through with their media obligations and stuff. And you know what, by the way, that actually would have helped too that the men weren't doing anything in the media because all the media coverage and all the interviews and everything else and launches, it all would have just been based on the women because they're the only ones talking. It would have been great for them. Yeah, yeah. I just I just think it's ridiculous. Yeah, look, totally agree with what you were saying at the end. Uh, that that seems to be a massive lost opportunity and like I, I can't believe it, but you know, you're right, because the first game's twenty second of July, it's nine days away. And that's when the women's season's gonna kick off. So yeah, look. I I totally agree with your sentiments there. It, if if this is going to have negative impacts on the women's game and they, their growth, the the massive growth that we've been seeing year on year, or for their competition, it's it's a absolute. Uh, it'll be a travesty for that to happen. So look, I you know on on the CBA side, like I definitely feel for the players in terms of like. They're just not getting opportunities to, to negotiate. I understand they need to take some action, but yeah, totally agree. Why couldn't it just be of you know the, the men's game that uh you know that the media bans enforced on? Like, why not just let the women still talk to the media and obviously have their launch and yeah, just saturate all the current rugby league media with women's stuff because obviously 
that 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 would be that would have been fantastic for them and to get their you know more promotion out there basically for this growing competition and as you say it's it it is a great product and it's getting better every year and it's going to continue getting better if there's going to be ongoing support yeah i'll um i'll finish up by just going rogue and saying it's weak as piss by the rlpa that's the best colloquial way that i can that i can actually describe it i just think it's weak as piss because the players and the rlpa need to have a think about it because the men's game can afford to take a hit the men's game is an established competition. They're all getting paid phenomenal money. They're all getting paid full-time jobs. They're sitting pretty as much as they want to say, you know, I want these benefits, whatever. It might be the case, but they're established. The women's game, to take them along for the ride, to fight for you as well, it is just weak as piss. It is bad leadership. This game cannot afford to be, in five years' time, not financially sustainable. And you have to think that things like this, at the stage that the women's game is at, can kneecap it for three or four years. And then all of a sudden, you know, at the 12-year mark, which is another six years or something, the viability of the women's game could get called into question. And if you kneecap it by a couple of years because you're doing this sort of action, then, you know, you're largely responsible for that. So I think that some people need to have a good hard look at themselves and really get their head out of their ass and start to think about it a bit better. Legend Rewind. Darius Boyd, Wilfred, finishing off on... I was going to say a Bronco is great, but also a Dragon's great. But then, you know, he's so polarizing that some people will say, well, why are you looking at Darius Boyd as a legend? <laughs> I cannot remember a more polarizing career. And he is someone who was so good for the first half of his career and or even the, the first two thirds of his career. And I don't remember someone falling out of form, but also just so polarizing in the public where everyone just turned on him. You know, it's it's quite a remarkable career. But the problem in rugby league and certainly in sport in general with fans is that we fall out of love with these players and they start playing worse. And unfortunately, you remember how they played for their last few years. You forget about the fact that they were actually an elite rugby league talent. And Darius Boyd was. But can you think of a more polarising rugby league career than Darius Boyd, Wilfred? No, I think you, you nailed it right there. It's just... You know, obviously, as a Broncos fan, I've watched that decline with a lot of frustration. And, you know, I've always tried to be pretty level-headed about, you know, Darius Boyd. He's been a great servant of the Broncos. And obviously, you know, he went away for a while and he came back. And, you know, we still had some good years after he came back. Like, it wasn't really until 2018 onwards, the last three seasons that he played, where he was just, you know, a liability, basically on the field and it was frustrating to watch him still get picked and all that type of stuff. But for that to tarnish what is an absolutely, you know, amazing career, like sure, he may not, he's not going to be an immortal or anything like that, but his accomplishments, they they are way up there and and there's so much disrespect on the name of Darius Boyd just because of, as you highlight, just the, the backlash over the last couple of seasons he played. Yeah, it's pretty unfair. And it's also one of those things too where, Again, a very sport thing. You don't like the person, so you decide that they're not a very good player. And, you know, you, you need to be able to give respect to, to what someone's achieved, even if you don't uh, like them. And certainly with the media, he was very bristly. Uh, with fans at times, he was very bristly. Oh, I guess he wasn't taken very well a lot of the time through his career. But then, you know, you have to also acknowledge the fact that he was quite brave in coming out and talking about his mental health issues. And he's done a lot of work with that as well. And some of the interviews were fairly outstanding that he did too. So... I think probably some of that needs to also play a part in the very complicated 
Darius Boyd puzzle when you're talking about his career. Yeah, look, I think that's really important to highlight that, yeah, absolutely. He got a lot of people offside uh, because of, you know, the things that he was going through off the field. And these are the things that they weren't spoken of because it wasn't acceptable back then. It was a sign of weakness and all of that type of stuff. So for him to, you know, he almost came before 180 come end of season, uh, come end of his career when obviously his form was falling off a cliff, but he actually, you know, you could, you could see it grown a lot as a person and his maturity towards the end of the season, to the end of his career where he was able to speak openly about his struggles and form and to speak openly about, yeah, his, his battles that he'd gone through. Yeah. It, it's kind of, again, probably because fans weren't interested in him because he was playing poorly on the field, but what he was saying was actually quite interesting and, yeah, he was uh, so different the last couple of years that he played, uh, especially with his media and, and the things he would talk about compared to, obviously, the. You, I think Bristley is uh, underselling perhaps how he was. I was probably <laughs> being too polite, yeah. Yeah, exactly. But to, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it, one of the other things too was that I think a lot of people probably disappointed, especially in Brisbane, in, in him as a leader. I think he was quite a poor leader. Um, but it's just one of those things where I think that he's – his personality coupled with his personal experiences just just meant that he was never really going to be cut out to be a great leader. And we saw that at times as well. Uh, And not all of the best players are the best leaders either. So you could say that it might be even a little bit unfair for us to have expected that. Looking at the positive stuff though, Wilfred, before I just finish off on his numbers and his accolades, because there is many, and I think that some people will be surprised. As a player, how did you remember him? How did you remember him at his peak? I think for me, what really stood out for him was he was just really consistent and his worst game, like, you know, I'm, I'm going to wipe the last couple of years when I talk about this, but you know, when he was, you know, at, in his peak of his career, like his worst games were not that far off his best games. So yeah, he was never really going to be, you know, you, you look at his highlights, they're, they're not always him doing the, the crazy stuff, right? There's a few highlights there where he, you know, who could forget that intercept that he takes, uh, you know, for the Dragons, right? And that uh, very interesting kit where, like, the the, the jersey they're wearing, I can't even remember the occasion, but it's like, you know, obviously red and white, but they're stripes, and then they're playing the Bulldogs, who are also in blue and white stripes. But, you know, that that's one of the career highlights that you see often because he doesn't actually have that many players like that, but he's just so good at being where he needed to be he was so good at organizing his team and in defense and he was always almost always in the right place and i think a lot of that was you know he learned that from billy slater in terms of his fullback play but yeah just there's so many aspects of his game that just underrated because they don't stand out you know he's not the guy who's going to streak away for an 80 meter try often uh, he's not the guy who's going to palm off four or five blokes on the way to scoring a try but you know, he's always going to be there to finish the, the try like he was for the Maroons. Uh, that's, you know, you can laugh about him being the beneficiary of Greg Inglis, but a lot of it's because he's in the right place. He's there backing up in support. He's doing his job as a winger at an elite level. And, you know, that wasn't even his main position, right? Because he was a fullback. So, yeah, like there's so many things like that to just go unappreciated by fans. But obviously if you watch and follow him closely as a Broncos fan. I, I loved seeing that from him. Yeah, I think that he was very cerebral as a player. He had a great footy IQ. 
and he also had a pretty underrated work ethic, like you said, in how he had to learn things. And that gave way to his versatility too, which is something that I think that people should remember about his game. You know, he he was, you know, one of the best wingers in an origin series time and time again, playing on the wing, uh, and then would go back and play uh, either fullback or 5'8". He played the halves as well, plenty. And he even played, you know, test matches in the centres for Australia. You know, he had huge versatility, but wherever he moved him, he was just as effective and he knew the position inside out because he was a very, very smart player. And that gave way to pretty boring highlight reels, but it also gave way to seasons like 2010 where he won a Clive Churchill medal when the Dragons beat the Roosters in the grand final. And he had an absolutely outstanding season. He was absolutely untouchable that season in how he could read the game and organise that Dragons team and steer them to victory. And he's ball-playing. He, he was playing fullback for the Dragons that year and he was the number one ball player potentially in the competition with how he would organise and be able to run that attack. Uh, so people forget about all these things because they did fall off. But he was definitely among the elites and definitely for a few-year period among the best players in the competition for me. His awards, uh, Clive Churchill Medal 2010 I mentioned. Um, they won the grand final against my Roosters. Fullback of the year that year. Uh, international fullback of the year that year too, an international player of the year as well. Um, so quite a good one, but people will also forget that he actually played 23 games for Australia plus six World Cup matches. Uh, that's quite a big career for Australia. 28 appearances for Queensland where he scored 17 tries over that time. And I was remiss to not mention the Newcastle Knights as one of his clubs as well. Uh, he played 20 plus games in almost every season that he played as well, in every single NRL season. So his ability to not get hurt and to play through was quite huge as well. Um, Most other players of his calibre had a lot of injuries or injuries at times, um, which kept them out a lot of games, and he he never really did. He had the 2015 to 16 period when he came back to Brisbane, and that was it basically since he debuted in 2006. So really long career from 2006 to 2020, uh, a lot of games, 87 tries in 337 NRL games. And Wilfred, those numbers, you know, everyone can remember Darius Boyd, how they like at the end, but those numbers will not lie and they'll always be there. Yep, uh, I totally agree there. That's what I said. Like, it's just, it's hard to forget, obviously, the the bad times and especially when they're, you know, recency bias and all, they all happen towards the latter end of his career. I know, obviously, there's, you know, you look at this middle of his career and there's those years at Newcastle, which... Yeah, let's face it, he didn't exactly cover himself with glory with uh, how he, you know, talked to some of the Knights fans and stuff like that. But, yeah, look, the the fact is when he was, you know, in good form and playing at the peak of his powers, he was elite and there's no way around that. Like, he, he definitely was one of the best players in the competition and, you know, obviously the best fullback in 2010 and, uh, the best player on the field and in, in the grand final. And, you know, how many players can you say can can put up their hand and and say that was something they achieved? Like, yeah, not, not too many at all. Not many at all. Uh, a polarising figure, a uh, bit of a complicated one as well, but certainly a fantastic rugby league player uh, whose peak I will always remember, particularly at the Dragons for that 2010 victory. So Darius Boyd, great career. Whatever you think of him, you've got to recognise how good a career that he had. And Wilfred, recognise that you've jumped on the podcast again for me, which is great because I know that you're a very busy man. So thank you very much. I always love talking rugby league with you, whether it's Supercoach or just rugby league in general. So thank you for coming on board again this week. No worries. Likewise, Barnsley, right back at you. Uh, And really do enjoy our chats. And yeah, always happy to jump on when I can. 
Awesome, mate. Awesome. Well, everyone jump on the NRL Supercoach Champions podcast. It is fantastic. You can get onto them if you like your Supercoach. Certainly with us, we're on iTunes, Spotify, SoundCloud, Amazon. We're everywhere. Also jump on Twitter and follow NRL underscore SC underscore All Stars. And jump on picklebet.com. Make sure you use the affiliate code. All Stars, all one word. Hit apply when you put the affiliate code in and they'll know that you're one of our listeners when you create an account today and they'll take really good care of you. Thanks very much for listening. We've got a fantastic round of footy this week for round 20. We'll be back with the Supercoach episode hitting Wednesday and then another talk of footy after that. So enjoy the weekend. Can't wait to talk more rugby league real soon. Hey now, you're an all-star. Get your game on, go play. Hey now, you're a rock star. Get the show on.